God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, it's just a, a joy to be part of um, your family and a part of your work here in Pocatello. Lord, we lift up, uh, let's just spend some time lifting up our neighbors across the street, behind us, down the street, Lord. Uh, I just ask, Lord, that you would make a way that we could uh, uh, really speak to them and reach out to them in a tangible way, Lord, that uh, that we would make sure they know that they are invited to join us at any time, Lord. And so, Lord, uh, help us to, to just guide and direct us. Be with our study tonight as we look at your word. And uh, we just ask, Lord, that you continue to grow us in you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is sick, Steve, on everybody. You're going to go door to door twice twice a month, buddy. Door to door twice a month? Just to one, two, three, four, five. Six. Harass. Look, they're like, I'll stop coming when you show up to church. Okay, so let's... I'll videotape that. Let's pick it up at uh, Matthew chapter 8. We'll round out the chapter and we'll get into nine, 9 here this evening. So, So starting at verse 28... Uh, just uh, a reminder, last week when we looked at Jesus got up and he calmed the storm. And uh, they're like, who is this guy? <laughs> that even the wind and the waves obey him. Um, that's the same God that we serve, that he calms things in an instant. And as long as we're close to him and looking to him, regardless of what's happening around us, he's not sleeping. He is giving us his rest. Verse 28, Matthew chapter 8. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out and send us away into the herd of pigs, um, and he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Now, this is the same account as some other Gospels. Uh, Matthew was the only one that mentions two demon-possessed men. The rest of them mentioned one. Most scholars believe that's because one was more prominent and more vocal than the other. Um, it doesn't change, again, the validity of the account. It doesn't make it a second account, necessarily, uh, because there's so many similarities between the accounts of the Gospels that we know that this is the same account. And it's all about vantage point, right? You know, you have... You know, people on four sides of an intersection, and there's an accident in the middle of the intersection. Each person is going to give you a little bit of a different picture of what they saw and what their attention was drawn to. Um, so again, most scholars believe that there was one that was vocal and predominant, and that would have been the one that the other Gospels give attention to. So, um, so uh, if you go to Matthew 12, seems like an odd. This might be the wrong reference. Let me look here. Oh, no, that's good. Um, so we have this weird idea of the, the demon saying, hey, if you're, if you're going to cast us out, 
send us into the pigs. If you ever spend any time in um, looking into uh, what demons and angels and things like that, I've taken a couple of apologetics class on it. The belief is that they are always roaming to try to find something to habitate. Those pigs would have been the closest thing. And so they're like, can at least throw us into the pigs? Now we know from some of the other accounts that it wasn't just one demon. There were several um, that were within the two men. And, and they said, because Jesus asked their name and they said, we are legion. We are many is what they say. And so the, the cast, so that kind of gives you an indication of how many demons were possessing the, these men because the whole herd of pigs, um, you know, went crazy. And they ran into the sea. So uh, Matthew 12, 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. So again, we see here just Jesus saying, if they don't have somewhere to possess, they're not finding rest. They're wandering, trying to find a place to, to, to take up shop. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Now in context, just for our, I mean, we'll get there in, in several weeks to this part in Matthew 12. But in context, he's saying, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, basically, if you don't, you can do all the work you want to clean your act up and get it together, it doesn't make you um, resistant against demons to come back. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first, so also it will be with this evil generation. He's really saying, hey, you can't work your way to salvation. In fact, the more and more you try, the worse off you will be. So back to the pigs. So some of the challenge that we need to understand is that why do the herdsmen say leave their region because we are the, the people from the city because you see that when the herdsmen go in they don't talk so much about the pigs they talk about the fact that this guy the, these demons were cast out um, now it most scholars believe that these were Jewish people raising pigs which if you think about it for a minute <laughs> Jews are not supposed to have anything to do with pigs and all of a sudden, their livelihood has been killed. They've been called out, basically. If you, see, if you really look at it, Jesus has done a work that, 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 that says, you cannot do this anymore. Kills their livelihood. And so what do they do? Go away, Jesus, because you're messing with our income. Not that we do that in America at all. Or stay, but, you know, you're messing with my livelihood. Please get away. Um, so this is why the people in the town were, it wasn't like, oh, look at what you did. And this man, these two men, how wonderful. Oh, that's great. Praise the Lord. And in fact, this could be some of the reason why in the other accounts, we see Jesus tell the man, no, you're not going to come with me. You're going to go back and you're going to witness because they're going to be the herd. The, the pigs are gone and now they're in a state of frustration and they need to, they need to have their attention drawn to the mighty works of God and not what their livelihood was. Yes, Steve? I just say that Jesus is spending all of his time with the disciples, manifesting himself who he is to the people, the Pharisees, whatnot. I find it interesting. Uh, and behold, they cried out, what have you to do with this, O son of God? That he hasn't even talked to them. They came to Jesus as, O son of God, have you, are you come to torment us before our time? It's immediately, they, they recognize his authority, who he is. And yeah, and, and in the, pre the presence of Jesus um, evokes that interruption right. to their, you know, and what's interesting is even the demons know that they have a limited time 
because are you going to come torment us before it's time? They know. And again, it always astounds me how much we look at Scripture that the demons and Satan knows way more about Scripture than we do. And so anyway, that's another side thought. So um, again, just to, to wrap kind of this section up, Jesus disrupts our illegal activity. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's just not illegal in a moral sense, it's illegal because it's against God. He disrupts that. Um, and he disrupts that sin in our life. And he does this to free us from selfish gain that leads only to death, as we see. Um, again, the herdsmen, though, are a great witness to this. And what I like about the, what, what Matthew accounts is, he doesn't go and tell them, look how Jesus disrupted our livelihood. They went into the city and told everything, especially what happened to So they emphasize, this guy set these two men free. Um, uh, there's some, if you do a little bit of history on, on looking at some of the accounts, um, these guys were so tormented, they had to be chained. They couldn't keep their clothes on. If they were unchained, they would go in and torment other people. And, and so, um, and some, some think, uh, some scholars believe they would go kill pigs too. So another reason they would chain them. Um, um, so they, they were filled with sores and cuts and scrapes because they were scraping themselves and cutting themselves, trying to get the demons out of them. So again, demons um, destroy. That's what they do. Uh, and we see that. But again, especially what they had done, and yet um, the people wouldn't have none of it because, man, if we believe this, we can't keep doing things that we're not supposed to be doing. So again, the, pre- the presence of Christ provokes two reactions, acceptance, which, is deliver- which leads to deliverance, or rejection. I mean, that's the, the two things. I was like the, the one quote from Ironside today. There's two religions, those who do something, uh, to get to God, basically, is what he's saying, are those who, who receive it as something done for them. Um, and that's, you know, we look at Christ. And, you know, it's funny, um, I've had this question for a few months now, um, but there's, the, you know, the, I've gotten this question from particular, at least one or two people since I've been here. So you're saying there's only two type of people, in Christ or outside of Christ? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh, to me, to me, to me, that makes a lot very easy, (laughs) you know, not that we're the judge or anything, but it's like, okay, that's why, are you in Christ? You know, that's what we want. We want you in Christ. We want you to be set free from those things which are controlling you and destroying you. Um, so you say that no decision or, uh, uh, no decision, no decision, so basically, you say, "Why well, I'm thinking, I'm looking, uh, and, you, and you postpone what you're what you're basically saying is that I really don't want." It. Well, but we go to the 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 man who Jesus said he said, "Let me go bury my dad first, right?" And that that's a I'm, I'm I don't want to now. Let let me deal with it when. Well, let me think know. about all Yeah, that. you know, I got 20 years or so, then I'll get serious about it. And we we I mean, a lot of people feel that way. Like, oh, if I accept Jesus now, if I receive Jesus now, my life's going to suck and I can't enjoy my life. And, you know, he's going to make me, uh, I, I can't do the things that I want to do. I might have to get up on Sunday mornings. No, but, <laughs> um, and so, the, and, and those of us who have received the forgiveness of sins realize the freedom and the joy that we have in Christ, that those things pale in comparison, um, you, you know, and it's really not a lot when you think about it. So what you just want to stay up later you want to drink more or you know i mean there's really in my opinion there's not a ton that that 
that God says you can't do that anymore. All he says is you, you, you're, you quit heading this way. I want you to head towards me and I'll, and I'll turn you. I'll help you and I'll, and I'll walk you along the way. Um, but we have this idea that, that life becomes dull and boring. And um, I found it to be quite the opposite. Not so. only that, everything I, I was thinking over there, uh, uh, in my best thinking, not my worst thinking over there, my best thinking... Uh, everything I would, you know, everything you think that's fun, quick, enjoyable, uh, tidbit, whatever, whatever your your thing is. Uh, usually, I've noticed over there, not as expensive. It's demoralizing. It it costs somebody something. You're breaking not only God's heart, other people. I mean, it, you know, getting drunk or hurting other people, whatever goofiness you do, and the, your recreational activity is a barbarian. It may not. It's not honoring to God, but it, it, it ultimately, it seems it's less, not too productive for yourself. Too. No, yeah, it's self-destructive for sure. Very yeah. tough. Yeah, self-destructive is a good term. Okay. Self-destruction. Yeah. Self-destruction. We'll make up a term. Selfish, but it's destructive, so self-destruction. Okay, never mind. <laughs> um, chapter 9 of Matthew. Um, and getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Now, we know in some of the other accounts, after he, he uh, delivered the, the demoniac, or demoniacs, as Matthew tells us, um, the, at least one of them asked to go with him in the boat, and he says no. So this is just right in that line of, of what I think Luke is the one that is a little more um, clear on that. But in getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So I think to get a better picture of this, it would be great to look at the other couple accounts that we see in this. <coughs> Excuse me. So Mark chapter 2. Let's read 1 through 12. And it says... And when he returned to Capernaum, now we need to understand that Capernaum was kind of where Jesus established his home base. Um, I won't go into the reasons why, but he went, he went there and established his home base. Um, okay, well, one reason is that Capernaum was considered a place where there would be light to the Gentiles. So it's kind of a cool, I mean, Jesus kind of is good at fulfilling prophecy about himself. So. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? <clears throat> and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, 
Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now go to Luke chapter 5. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Luke, uh, just a uh, clarification Luke did not walk with Jesus, but he went and did many interviews. Um, and he went and kind of sought things out. He was a physician and a historian. And so he was very detail-oriented. Chapter uh, 5, verse 17. On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. So again, we see scribes. Scribes were Pharisees. Not all Pharisees were scribes. So just some insight there. Who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. This is important for us because there's two types of of roofs that were common in that point in time. But it also gives us the Roman influence and the Greek influence that there were tiles at this house gives us an idea that this person's house that he was in would have had been a little more affluent than the most than most people because they had tiles on the roof just a side note that's why we read these other accounts we get a little more details um so it would have been you know thatch laid down with tiles on top and they would have just been able to pull the square tiles up would have been easier for them to access than than a mud um roof that so so sometimes we sit there go man they dug through the roof and everything um this wouldn't would have been sticks Laid over, sticks is a bad term, but branches and then tile on top of it to level it out. So it would have been a little bit easier than maybe sometimes we have pictured in our um, minds and, and other stories. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say to your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. That's another piece that we don't hear in the other ones, that the man was glorifying God, uh, you know, at the same time. And amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, one, one commentator or pastor I was listening to said, said, weren't the men on the roof glad that God said, pick up your bed and walk, because they weren't sure how they were going to get them out of there. So <laughs> they were happy. So... I was thinking of Sharon over there. If I come over to your house and the four of us guys ripped off your roof and we lowered a paralytic to there, would you have an opinion? Well, it's a different type of roof. <laughs> if Jesus was at your house. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. The, the scribes didn't seem to understand. The demons know more than the scribes. Well, well, we'll talk about that here. So Jesus preached the word of the gospel. That's what is said to us. Gospel, um, every time you see that, just say good news. What's the good news? Uh, that God loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. Um, let's not make the gospel more complicated. Uh, I think as we saw in the, in the sermon this morning, there's a lot of complication in religions. God said it made it easy. I love that. It was the Oswald Chambers, uh, you know, the reason it's so easy to be saved is because it cost God so much. And, and, I, and I sat there still. I'm like, wow, what a, 
what a, a remarkable comment. Uh, because most of us would say, oh man, it's hard. It's hard to be saved. No, it's really not. <laughs> God did it all. So it's, it, it's the, what's hard is our stubborn hearts. Anyway, um, so this was again the continual emphasis of Jesus' ministry. God loves you. He's going to save you. Believe in Jesus. Um, and so we need to just, again, if that was his emphasis, maybe it should be ours. You know, Although he performed miracles, that was not really, if you look at the scriptures, that was not what he was known for. He was known for preaching the gospel. Um, that's the emphasis continually of his ministry is he preached the good news. He was not a miracle worker who preached, but a preacher that happened to perform miracles. Um, and so I think that that's interesting and, and important for us to know because we can easily in the church move to the signs and wonders side and overemphasize that. Not that they shouldn't be there, don't get me wrong, versus um, the preaching the gospel side, which produces often signs and wonders, but we can't get the cart before the horse, right? That's one of those things. So the question we must consider um, is this. Um, when we're looking at the faith of these friends, well, I'll call them friends. It doesn't specifically say that, but who would do it if they weren't friends? Um, this is one of the, the, the passages that Pastor Dinger helped me with when we were talking about infant baptism. This is one of the ones we reference as Lutherans. It was the faith of the men who brought the paralytic. So it's the faith of the parents who present the child. And so that really helped me a lot um, because we're not, <laughs> we're not you know, expecting, although uh, children do have a sense of, if you replace faith with trust, they do have a trust, uh, ability to trust um, their moms and whatnot in a way that, that is still, you know, that is there. It's not developed, obviously, right? Yes. I wonder if it would be uh, uh, accurate to say that there's also, when uh, a mom and dad bring their kid to be baptized, that there's spiritual authority there. I mean, you're giving permission, you're <coughs> invoking the Holy Spirit, you're, you're dedicating, you're making a, a proclamation, just like in the Old Testament, a dedication to the Lord. It seems to me it has some type of uh, clarity, some type of uh, uh, statement, and God's going to honor. Yeah, so let's look at that, First Corinthians chapter 7. Because I think sometimes we get very discouraged and we get frustrated. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. And I'm not going to claim to understand all of this, um, but there's some things that God says in his word that, that I think we can take um, comfort and strength in. Um, and so verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 7 says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So, you, you know, this idea of single, uh, you know, one person in the family, you know, being, being a believer and the rest of them not is not new. Right. So, Barb, you know, we have you. Uh, we've got uh, you know, Tiffany, uh, um, you know, so we see these things. Now we have Caroline who her her they're not married, but her boyfriend isn't, you know, isn't a believer. And so we have we have um, this this wonderful little tidbit that was not that was happening in the church. People were coming to faith, but their spouses weren't. And what a great, for me, what a great comfort to be able to share something like this with a mom who's bringing their kids faithfully. Beth, Bethany's another one. And, and, and say, hey, what you're doing is actually not only blessing your husband, but your children. And so it's really important for us to, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It's, you know, I need to be, I need to, I don't want to ignore everybody, but I, I, 
I want to exhort the parents more and more how important it is mm-hmm. um, because we have a, a, well, about a third generation of unchurched people because mm-hmm. parents did, did not bring kids to church. They quit the fight. They, it was too much. Um, I always tell parents uh, from time to time, you know, bringing your kids to church is not about you getting something out of church. Just so you know, you're in a season where this is establishing what is best for them so that they grow up knowing the church community and how important it is to worship God and that this is what you do. This is normative. Um, And so, um, you know, it's important, I think, for us to encourage people, but me as a pastor to say, I understand this season and just remember this season is not about you. (laughs) <laughs> which we don't. And that's a challenge in, in our culture right now because we want me time. Uh, it's one of the things that I saw as, as detrimental. And I'm going to be careful not to broad stroke at all, but with the, the church and the ministries who separate kids the whole time during worship and the parents. And, there's, and, they, and they have a radically different approach to how they, uh, they do worship so that by the time the kids are supposed to come to normal service, they're just like, this is boring. I don't want to do that. Um, and, and again, and it's also created a, a divide between how parents can actually, we're a family who worships together. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox on that one. So, um, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. <clears throat> Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so we see these people bringing this man. Now, we don't know what kind of conversation that they had before. I mean, he's a paralytic. Probably didn't have much of a choice. But we don't see any sort of response from the paralytic man until we see in Luke, after he took up his mat, he was praising God. You know, we don't see anything. Uh, uh, yes, Steve. To, to your point over there, these four guys that are not, obviously they saw something with <coughs> Bartimaeus or whatever their thing over there. They absolutely, you know, most people are says, hey, Barb, sure, let's go grab this dog. We're going to pick him up and we got a faith healer over there. If, if this guy's a goofball, you're not going to do it. They must have seen something in Jesus' uh, Well, but even, if, but even if that, I mean, even if he is a goofball and it doesn't work, at least we tried. Uh, <laughs> so, so I think you know you're either going to be paralyzed or paralyzed. So you'll be healed or still paralyzed. So let's go for it, right? And so we 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 don't know what what uh, what the, the but the fact is that Jesus. What I love about this is Jesus sees their faith. Exactly. He doesn't say he looked at the man and and so and he gives them what the greatest need of all people is, and that is the forgiveness of sins. So now we need to remember also at this time, people believed that a person who was paralyzed, lame, or blind was because of their sin or even the sins of their parents. So go to John chapter 9, verse 2. We see that this was common. Um, <clears throat> well, we'll start with one because that will help. But John, John 9, verse 1. 
As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, again, he was born blind, so that's where they could say it's the parents. We don't know if the paralytic was born a paralytic, but he was lame, and so somebody sinned, more than likely him, according to, to how they believed at the time. Because now he could have, he could have been stupid and took a dare and jumped off of a cliff and you know, we don't know, right? He could have been doing something evil that was, that was sinful, that got him paralyzed. It doesn't matter. The reality is, is that we all are spiritually paralyzed until Jesus proclaims forgiveness of sins over us. And he does that because of faith. So it is plausible um, that this man on the mat believed that he was paralyzed because of sin as well. In fact, it would probably be... Um, more than likely true, because that was that was the purveying thought of the day. That if you are lame, if you're blind, if you have leprosy, if you are sick, it's because you sinned. If you were born that way, could be you, but probably your parents who sinned. Jesus comes and disrupts all of that. Now consider the fact that, um, oh, I said this kind of, that we are completely paralyzed and unable even. This is what I like to ask Jesus to forgive or heal us. We don't even ask him to do it. We're presented before him. The Holy Spirit presents us before him. And he sees, again, um, the faith that is done. And so I see the friends or these other men not as only a charge to believers, but more the ministry of the Holy Spirit who brings us to Jesus. But we as ministers of the Holy Spirit to others get people to Jesus. I mean, that's really... I think that's really the the best thing to emphasize is let's not talk to them about... um, And again... Don't take, don't, don't take me wrong when I say this. Don't say, oh, you know, our church is so great or, you know, it's comfortable, you know, it's family, we're welcoming. I, those things are great and those things serve us, but you're bringing them here. Why? So that they're here. What I hope they hear almost every Sunday morning that Jesus did the work for us. We were dead in our sin and trespasses and he made us alive because of what he did for us. Hopefully some way I will say something like that every Sunday. Because we need to be reminded of that. Even in confession and absolution, if you're not a believer, you're like, why are we doing this? Uh, why are they doing this? Oh, we're admitting that we need to be forgiven. So they still get this, this idea. Um, and so, uh, yeah. Uh, boy, I have, a, I have a reference to a story, but I can't remember it here. So, huh. Oh, no, I do know. Okay. So R.C. Sproul, early on in his ministry, uh, he was, uh, there was a, a psychology, uh, mental hospital type thing, psychology, large one growing. It was in Florida at the time. And he got a call. He knew the director and the director offered him a job making lots of money. He goes, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not even a psychiatrist. And, and the guy at the institution said, I understand that RC. He goes, but the main problem that we have with everyone in here is they need to know that they're forgiven. And uh, he didn't take the job, but but the the statistics of what this guy was sharing with R.C. Sproul was that that the, most of the people that were in men's mental institutes or bound that were only there because of the burden of sin that they carried. That there was a small percentage that actually had mental issues. The rest, and so again, I don't want to, you know, obviously you all know that I have somewhat of, of, a, of a degree in, in positive mental health. And so I don't want to discount mental health, but at the same time, 
Um, the greatest need of people is to know that, that, that there's a way to be at peace with God and that, that Jesus forgives them. So, so Jesus calls himself son of man. This is significant also. And so uh, why is this significant? Well, it's good for us. Th- I'm glad you asked that question. Um, Daniel chapter 7. Look at that. We looked at Daniel this morning, and we're going to look at Daniel tonight. And I'm not in a hurry to ever do a study of Daniel, just so you all know. So don't worry about that. But I don't mind referencing it from time to time. I find that when you try to study something like the book of Daniel, it's so easy to get... Ezekiel's another one, too. It's so easy to get on sidetracked for so long a period of time that you forget. You're like, where are we? <laughs> I like the book, don't get me wrong, but, but to study it, 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 there's a lot there that you have to unpack and it can get, it can get a little uh, confusing. So Daniel 7 verse 13 and 14. <clears throat> I saw in the night visions and behold the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now remember, Matthew says scribes were there. Um, They would have known this passage. I mean, Pharisees did too, but the scribes would have known this passage. So when he says son of man, they're like, he's talking about the one who has been given dominion over everything. Um, Now, what's interesting here... um, Okay, I'll get there in a second. Um, So they understood that Jesus was calling himself God, that he was the one who had power and dominion over everything. You see Jesus call himself Son of Man often, and it would have been a reference specifically to Daniel. And again, when we look at the book of Daniel, there's prophecy about the coming king and about the coming one. Now, we we mix, in today's day, we mix mis. We sometimes mix it up between his first coming and his second coming, but the reality is it all points to Jesus Christ, and it's who he is. Uh, Jesus hears the thoughts of the scribes, and I love this. didn't say that they said anything out loud, um, which I love this, but at the same time, it's extremely um, convicting. Uh, you, can't, you can't think something that God doesn't hear or doesn't know. And it's like, oh man. Yeah, and we see that Jesus talked about this. It's not even, you know, it's not even, you know, the fact that you, that you do a, a deed with someone who's not your wife, right? If you even think about it, <laughs> you're busted. Uh, if you even say something, uh, you know, call your brother a fool, uh, you might as well just murder him, murder him. And you're like, oh man, we are just, we're just hosed right there. Is how I look at it. It's like, you know, and again, and that's what I love. Jesus is all about the heart. He's like, your hearts, as Jeremiah 17, 9 says, your hearts are deceitfully wicked and beyond cure. Who can know it? Psalm 139 says, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way of me and lead me in the way everlasting. So the heart is, is really a place where God can deal. We are not qualified to deal with the heart. We can call a spade a spade and go, man, we're messed up. Thank you, Jesus. And there's this weird tension, I would say, um, those of us who have been given a heart of flesh, right? And God's removed the heart of stone and he's made us a new creation in Christ. So when we talk about the deceitfulness of the heart, we're really talking about the, the deeds of the flesh that are still longing for darkness and longing for corruption and wanting to do those things which please the flesh. Um, the heart is really, when we look at it, is, is, is where man wrestles with the things of the Lord um, and the things of eternity. So um, we just can't escape 
the perceiving power of God. Whoops. And that's what a lot of people, you know, you think, why are we so busy with activity? Why do we make uh, stereos that can be louder and louder and louder? Why do we, why do we have noise counseling, headphones, all these things? I mean, all great technology, don't get me wrong. But some of the things that the, the heart of that is we're trying to, to drown out the voice of the Lord who is convicting us of our sin. Let's just get caught up in activity and amusement and loud noises and constant, constant, constant. Um, and I know that um, maybe I'm just an old dog here, but I feel like there's just so much noise all the time. That um, And Laura will tell you, and I've shared this before, that's one of the reasons why I really like being left alone for about an hour or two in the mornings. Um, it's really one of the reasons I get up early is so I can just... I mean, I might have God's word on or listen to a, a podcast or a preacher or something, but it's not the constant bombardment of, of stuff. It's edifying stuff that's building us up. And uh, so, uh, and so um, again, by the time I get here on Sunday mornings, I'm usually ready to talk, just so you know. So don't, <laughs> don't stress out about that. Now, what's interesting that we need to understand, too, is many religious believers at this time believe that not even the Messiah could forgive, the, could, could forgive sins. Yeah, he was going to come save the world, but he was not the one who could forgive sins. Only God could. So even, even they might be okay with Jesus saying he's the Messiah, but for him to claim being God was where, really, where, was where he was rubbing them the wrong way. And we, we happen to realize that the Messiah and God are synonymous. They're the same person. And so he can say that. But again, the, the Jewish mind, they, many of them would have not believed that even the Messiah, all the Messiah could do is come and establish then God had to do the rest. And it's not much different than when we say, or when I say an absolution, um, for, uh, for the sake of Christ, God forgives you, right? It's for what Christ has done that he forgives you. But we also know that Jesus is God, so because Jesus can has the power to, to forgive because he is God. So, But it's interesting, I, I hadn't come across that before I studied for this, that, that a lot of religious leaders did not believe the Messiah could even forgive sins. So um, it's interesting. So even though they were looking for the Messiah and they thought Jesus might be him, Jesus went beyond what they were looking for, right? He went, I'm, I'm God. I'm not just the Messiah. I mean, isn't that enough? <laughs> for us, we're like, yeah, that's enough because Messiah is God. But for them, it would have been, mm, so when, that, when we have the question of forgiveness of sins, it's because even their version of the Messiah couldn't do that. So anyway, interesting thought. So we have the opportunity, I think, to be used by God to pronounce the forgiveness of sins to others. Jesus tells us to do that. It's not me or you, but God through us that brings the salve to the soul. Right? You know, I, I hope that you go, oh, Kirk's forgiving me of my sins. I hope you're not thinking that. I hope you're like, oh, Kirk gets to be the conduit to remind us that God forgives us for the sake of Jesus Christ. So look at Matthew chapter 6, which we have gone through before, but you know, it's been several weeks. Verses 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other, their, others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, again, why wouldn't we? Uh, I know this is a hard question sometimes. Why wouldn't we forgive people? Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, I mean... Was the scripture today in the Gospels about the, the church being given the keys? Not yet, no. 
we were getting well yes yeah. loose in heaven and bind but but yeah. that was more the keys that uh, we, we consider the keys being the power to forgive right so the church has been given that authority mm-hmm. to forgive exactly people of sin so we just put her on the wrong keychain yeah, so how, how <laughs> sad that we would be a part of of people not being able to enter into that rest well again if we believe that what everybody really needs and what jesus cared about most was the forgiveness of sins if we really truly believe that then we're going to be willing to forgive sins. The problem that we have in the church today, on a little side note, is we want people to be like us, right? Instead of going, well, we want you to be forgiven sins, but we really want you to be like us. You know, so, like, if, if people come and visit our church, and they're like, yeah, it's not a fit for me, but I hear or find out they're going to another church, I don't get mad. <laughs> I don't go like, well, you know, it's like, Awesome. I'm happy that they're going somewhere where they can hear the Lord, where they can they can plug in, they can grow in the Lord. Um, and and again, back to the you know, I hear this often when people come, and I know what they're saying to me, and it's okay if I their visit, and and a lot of times they'll say, "Well, I'm Lutheran," and I, I have to bite my tongue, um, and because I will say, well, "I don't care, are you a Christian?" That's really my question. You know, because I know a lot of people, whether Lutheran or Methodist or, or Episcopalian or whatever, who say, I'm a Catholic, I'm this. But that's all it is. It's not a real, it's not a real relationship. And, you know, we are Christians who happen to practice in a Lutheran context. And it's more the doctrinal context of Lutheranism. That's what defines us is the doctrine of Luther and, and, what, and justification by faith alone, uh, the scripture alone, Christ alone, uh, faith alone, you, you know, grace alone and glory of God alone. That's what we hold to. That's what makes us Lutheran, which if you realize a lot of churches are Lutheran, they just don't know it. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm wondering if, uh, if what some we don't use the key of, of unlocking more is because basically we're still guilty on our own selves. Well, yeah, we're holding on to hurt, right? We're we're holding on to right. uh, Just the inner stuff of the heart. God has really gone into maybe uh, sharing and uh, a deep clean in the heart where you really have received something that you have something to. You can't set someone free if you're not. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll probably get into this or some scriptures we'll go over, but I think that the reason we don't forgive is because we're still holding on to something yeah. of ourselves. It's selfishness. Yeah. We have no rights. We have no rights. So, in any way, most, I, I can't speak, but most of the time, the sins against us are minimal. Not all the time, but most of the time. So, when we're talking about forgiving people their sins it's when people are burdened by the weight of their own sin we get the opportunity to say you know for the sake of jesus christ god forgives you and and bringing that comfort to their soul it's not so much about forgiving when they've trespassed against you although i would say be quick to forgive even in that even if it hurts doesn't mean that you well that's a different subject Uh, i won't get into marriage counseling so john 20 (laughs) verse 23 so this is more of the of the keys to some degree 20 verse 23 so this is a foreshadow to the church. We'll go to 22, uh, John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This was not the impartation of Pentecost to the church. This was a momentary, here's the Holy Spirit to go do something specific. 
we see kind of this um, when, when we see people gathered together in the New Testament and they were filled, but they already are, they were given boldness. They already had the Holy Spirit with them after Pentecost, those who believe. So just a clarification. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so when I look at the second half of that, kind of to what, again, first of all, it's very um, anti-God to not to forgive people. Jesus forgave even when he's on the cross. What does he say? Forgive them. They don't know what they do. And so I think that, that again, and if someone is wanting forgiveness, let's just clarify that, right? If someone comes to you and says, you know, please forgive me, or, or someone says, I, I feel heavy burden, I need to, I don't know how to do this, well, God wants to forgive you, would, what would it be like if your kid came to you or a, a close friend and said, man, I just feel so guilty about my sin and my wrongdoing, and we're like, mm, yeah, bummer. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, so for us to say, hey, you know what? This, there's hope for you. Christ forgives you. you. You know, and so I think that that's where it comes in for us. And so it, we step back and practically. So, so often we take things like this and we make it personal. Well, if they've sinned against me, not just saying that. It's saying if you know someone who's weighed down by their sin, bring them the gospel and say Jesus has paid the price for you and he, and he forgives you. Well, and I think too, too often we... we have apron strings attached to it too you know it's like right. well okay but i don't know i think we've rather than just pronouncing you're forgiven i forgive you 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 know we tend to like well are they really asking for forgiveness and and do, how do i really know unless you know so why is it that you're really asking? For uh, yeah, I, you know yeah. But we, do we, we really kinda... ask with pure? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lord, I'm feeling bad right now. I don't want to feel this way anymore. Okay, <laughs> Steve. No, go ahead, Lord. No, I just I was you know. Say, that's one of the things I noticed over there. Uh, on, when you, and those are all good points. But I was thinking that's probably for me anyway, where the Holy Spirit comes in and does a, a, a kick your tookus thing over there. You know, Steve, you've done this over there where you really feel it deep. I mean, if you come over and share something, you know, and, uh, you know, it convicts us of our, uh, our, uh, in our heart, where it's, it's, a, I think that most pastors or a lot of pastors in America, what I, it, you can be pharisaical and have your rights and privileges where you want to be right, but the Holy Spirit doesn't put you in a place of humility of really feeling the debt of how serious sin is, your sin, the sin of the congregation, the community, the nation. I mean, we just, we play with it and we, we don't receive a, a, that Holy Spirit to heal us so that we can, we can be operating in truth. We, we play around with it, but we don't really maybe acknowledge it to the degree of really... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, our, our level of willingness to forgive others, whether it's against us or not, it's not the issue. Just our willingness to forgive is determined by our level of understanding of how much we've been forgiven. And that takes humility and complete being filleted before the Lord and going, I really don't have any rights. That's what forgiven yeah. pastor uh, over there, he says, I'm busted. Mine too. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's, if you think I'm going to brag, I'm probably not. <laughs> probably a, you're well, and, and even if it should take, I mean, because there are, I think, some sins uh, that are so... Um, that have such a hold and a grip that it takes... 
period of time, you know, for Well, that. the realization of forgiveness sometimes is a process. Forgiveness, so, though, is done, whether, you know, whether we have But, but my point is, is that whether, whether that person has maybe, uh, you know, done all of the things that would show uh, a, a coming forth of, of, I'm forgiven, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. We, as the church, should just be, you are forgiven. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is, is what kind of expectations do we have, the strings that you were talking about before? So if I say to someone, you know, hey, you know, don't feel guilty. Jesus Christ has done the work. God forgives you because of Jesus Christ. Do, are we sitting there going, okay, but now you have to. So now our expectation is that you're going to come to church with me. You're going to turn your life around. No, but that's the entry point, I think. To, to someone realizing, because again, Jesus gives, he forgives the whole world, right? So, you know, John, First John 2, 20, not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, how much more while we were enemies of God did, did, did Christ reconcile us to God through his death? How much more will we be saved through his life? So he reconciled us even before we received it. And so people don't necessarily receive it, but we need to let them know it has been done for them, whether or not that's up to that's for the work of the Holy Spirit and them and God, whether or not they say awesome, you know. But it's our job to let them know. So let's wrap it up really quick of why it's important to forgive. Um, so Mark eleven twenty five, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So that your father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Uh, Laura's heard me say this, and I've shared it with you guys. Sometimes I have to pause and go, is it worth the relationship? That, that's for me where it's like if, some, if, there, if I have something against anybody, it's like, okay, is it, am I just being selfish in this? Which it always is, just so you know. It's like it's not worth the relationship. M- many times when I have something against somebody else, they have no clue that they've offended me. So again, it's important though that, that we forgive because if we don't, right. Jesus says you're not forgiven. Amen. <laughs> I mean, and I know we don't want to live in this weight of, oh no, our fear. But the reality is, is like, again, and I always go back to why are you not willing to forgive? Yeah. It means that you don't understand how you have been so greatly forgiven. We have no rights in this world. Now again, our culture says be you stand up for and I'm not saying you, you you be abused or anything like that but what my point is 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 that we really have no leg to stand on we are completely dependent upon what Christ has done so in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So again, if this is what has happened to us, then that love comes out. So ultimately, it is the I think forgiveness is the best representation of Christ and an evidence of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives is to be willing to forgive. Let's wrap up with Luke first chapter 23 verses 33 and 34. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified. They crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I think back to kind of what we all kind of have said, when we forgive, we have these expectations. And when we forgive people, it's, you know, I've come to hate the phrase, well, they should know better. And I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, you would think, but they don't. People don't know better. Um, and, and we have sometimes, and I love the fact that our world is, that's a, love is a strong word, but there's a great darkness that is easy to contrast the light of Christ in this world. Uh, we are a broken world. Even people who are far from God recognize it's definitely a mess. Well, and we're exalting mankind in that statement too over god we right? never do that no. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really all that is well yeah a little bit okay. we do idolize ourselves a bit um mirror mirror on the wall <laughs> so um forgive I, that's what jesus cared about right um, and oh, and so you'll know that he's a son of man. You know, why don't you be healed while you're at it? <laughs> and his forgiveness is a perpetual forgiveness, right? It's a constant, continual. It's done, but it's but it's done, but it's doing. So that should be our 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 stance, also. Then, what if we believe that God has forgiven as as it's done, and then He continually from that forgives all the time, right? then that flows through us like it's been shed or brought in our hearts. I always find that amazing over there in the reading the accounts of Jesus over there as he's manifesting healing and the prophetic word and his knowledge and going over there and speaking the truth, busting them, that, that the scribes and the Pharisees time after time after time on a continual basis, not only, I don't know that they don't get it. They're, I'm thinking maybe they get it, but they don't want to receive the Messiah, hardest of heart. And I'm wondering if the death of power and manipulation control is so strong that it, it outweighs in their lives the, just the love of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, yeah. there's a, I don't know. I'm just... Well, I think, I think again, as you study, as I learned this last week, um, and I'm thinking about this more and more, if he would have been, in their mind, just the Messiah, and just claimed to be the Messiah, okay, we can receive that. Um, again, obviously, the Messiah wasn't supposed to die on a cross in their minds and all this stuff. But the fact, what got him crucified was his claim of equality with God. Um, and so when we look at scripture, we go, okay, we said son of man, okay. And, but the forgiveness of sins was greater than, and the son of man was directly a, a reference to himself 
as one who has power and dominion over everything as God himself. So, so we see that that's what cruci- it wasn't the fact that he was uh, uh, Messiah, although he is. Um, that's not what got him crucified. It was the fact that he claimed and is God. Um, it's, it's interesting over there when you were saying 